hey, we're so glad you're here, and that's Alpha. It's coming up in just about a month. Uh, it will be January 15th-ish, actually less than, and uh, we're going to launch into our missional communities. Many of you are part of those, and uh, we're going to do Alpha together. So if you are part of a missional commu- community, we'll relaunch. If you're not, we want to encourage you and invite you to be part of that. Um, I know for all of us, we come to church and we want to connect with others, get to know other people, let them get to know us. We, we want to grow spiritually speaking. We wouldn't, want, we wouldn't be here if, if we didn't. And we want to live on mission and invite other people into this great adventure that, that God has us on. And, and Alpha tries to wrap all that together. Really, our missional communities do. So we hope you'll sign up. You can sign up today or in the days and weeks to come. Uh, but the week of January 15th, we will launch into Alpha. There's a little card in your program uh, that you can look at as well for more information. Hey, we're uh, continuing a series that we've been in the last couple of weeks called When Heaven is Silent. And I want to start by just sort of taking a quick poll, have a question for you. Um, and it's Christmas time, so you have to be honest, really honest. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's a thing, right? Got to be honest at Christmas more than usual. I don't know. Um, but but here's, here's my question. It's this. How many of you, and raise your hand, shout, however you want to, to, to weigh in on this poll, it's very official. Um, how many of you binge watch TV? Hulu, Netflix, something else? Okay. No shame with some of you. Yeah, I'm with you. And somebody in my house, I won't say her name, actually binge watches as well. But um, you could probably like throw all kinds of shows our way. I have like binge worthy shows, but one of the top binge worthy shows to me is a show. Ironically, that doesn't make sense. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone a fan? <laughs> Big fan of Lost. Lots of binge watching for me, right? It's this show, right? Ironically, it's called Lost, right? And you watch this show and you're pulled in and it doesn't really make sense. It, but, but it's got that mystery element, right? It, it pulls you into it. Mystery by nature is like when, when there's maybe some confusion. You don't really know how all the pieces fit together. So you're engaged, you're locking in, but then... In the midst of mystery, it's also kind of difficult to sit in. I mean, Lost, I don't want to be a spoiler. I'm not going to. But man, if you're with that show and you went till the end, mm, right? It's like, show me something. Reveal something. Like, make it make sense. And then, mm, for me, it didn't. Maybe you're smarter than me and made it make sense. But for me, it didn't. But nonetheless, I was lost as I went. (laughs) Well, hey, we're going to look at the Christmas story today through, through the lens of a guy named Joseph. And Joseph found himself in a great mystery. Perhaps he felt lost a little bit in in this moment. And he had to live in the tension and the confusion and the lostness that this mystery brought to his life. So I want to open in Matthew chapter 1, first uh, book of the New Testament, picking up in verse 18 after the long list of genealogy. And this is what Matthew chapter 1 says. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, separate the relationship. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, reassuring him. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, which is this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So we see this guy named Joseph, which we actually don't know all that much about from the scriptures, but we do know a few things. Joseph was a carpenter. He was from the line of David. He was a devout Jew. And Joseph was also poor. And and the way we know he was poor primarily is because when he and Mary presented Jesus in the temple when he was young, they brought a turtle dove to sacrifice. And the reason that's significant is because in that culture, Jews only did that if they couldn't afford the lamb for the sacrifice. And then, of course, we know from the text about Joseph that because he wanted... To divorce Mary quietly, we know he was an overall decent or good human being. Because at that time in that culture, it would have been much easier just to humiliate her, even punish her, than to quietly or discreetly withdraw. So we don't know all that much about Joseph, but but we do know something very significant that I want to delve into a bit today. And it's that he was a spiritual man. And we know the kind of spiritual man, really, that he was. And you know there's that saying, you don't really know, don't really truly know a man until you see him in crisis. Well, this was a crisis for Joseph. Many people not only collapse under crisis, they do almost anything to end their pain or discomfort, don't they? What they say they value is often exposed to be razor thin as they're forced to either rise up to a higher level or fall because they're not able to endure the hardship. Crisis will either expose your weakness or reveal your integrity. Sometimes it does both, but in the end, one will win. So when Joseph is asked to do the unthinkable, to to publicly attach himself to a woman who at a minimum would be considered pretty crazy for claiming that she was a pregnant virgin, or at a maximum, she would be considered a tarnished, untrustworthy woman, Joseph showed us all why he was the man chosen by God for this special calling. And one of the most remarkably unique things uh, about Joseph's story is that although he had this this unique and, and supernatural encounter with God, the whole thing as it's happening, we get to look back on it, but as it's happening, didn't make sense to him. And it didn't make sense when he first heard this, It certainly didn't make sense as time went on. So, I mean, imagine what Joseph was thinking. I mean, this isn't in the text, but I mean, imagine he's going through all this stuff in his heart, his mind, his soul. He's wondering, why does this have to happen to me? Why me? Why does it have to happen this way? Where am I going to end up? Am I going to be an outcast as people find this out? Will I walk around with a mark of shame on my head for the rest of my life? And I imagine he wondered even, if Jesus is the Messiah, why would he come like this, with so much scandal and disgrace attached? Now, none of us can really know exactly what it's like to be in Joseph's shoes, or, or nor are we going to travel the exact same path as he. But the thing we can relate to, I believe, is how difficult it is to remain faithful to God 
when things don't make sense. And I know on a personal level, for me, for our family, uh, we can re- relate to this. I mean, we have a son with severe autism, as, as many of you know. And every single day brings an array of different chaos and uncertainty and, and, and mystery, in a sense, to it. Sherry calls this a constant state of unresolvedness. And, and, it's, and it's complicated, and it's messy, and it's difficult, depending on the day. It's hard to understand all of it, really. And, and our spirit may recognize the hand of God in both Holden's life and ours, and in general, perhaps for you. But, but, but for us, I know we relate because our minds often can't get around what our spirits can start to relate to and see. And all of us really have times when, when we're struggling to forge ahead and be faithful, even when things don't make sense, or when a crisis comes, or when we just don't have it in us to get the job done. It can essentially feel like God is silent. And that's a really hard place to be. And Joseph wasn't insulated from the greatest challenges that come in the midst of that. He was the devoted follower of God. And yeah, we know how it turned out because we, we look back 2,000 years later, back at the story, you're probably familiar with it. We sit here with the luxury of seeing the bigger picture and also seeing that Joseph would not be forced to endure a life of shame, but rather leave a legacy of honor. But Joseph, when he was going through that, he didn't know that. So he's feeling all this stuff. He's, he's thinking all this stuff. He, he was asked to step out in faith and to trust that this confusing time had a divine, clear, and intentional purpose. And I believe when we look at Joseph's life, uh, I want to extract three things that, that he embodied that drove him forward and I believe can help us do the very same thing. If he was able to endure the obstacles and the uncertainties and, and carrying these things out, I believe that can be an encouragement to us that we can do the same. And the first thing that we see Joseph do that we can also embody in our lives is that Joseph showed an openness He showed an openness to a completely different plan for his life. We see the first hint of Joseph's posture, right, of openness when we we read the word consider. We see that word in the text. And after Joseph considered dissolving his engagement to Mary, what happened then? He had a dream. And his plan was clearly to break it off with Mary, to, to, to fade into the distance quietly, He wanted to protect her from public shame as much as possible. But we see this word, consider. And it implies that that although he is leaning strongly in one direction, he's genuinely reflecting on this, wrestling with it perhaps, what he should do, as well as remaining open, presumably to the will of God. But but think about in your own life. I mean, ever tried to convince somebody um, that's already made a decision to change their mind? can be quite difficult. And James chapter 4 gives emphasis to that. It really, it really highlights this in, in, in its own unique way. Uh, that we have a tendency to make our own plans, to cling to those, and even to close ourselves off. Sometimes we do it subtly, sometimes not so subtly. But James chapter 4 says this. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life, James says? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, 
We will live and do this or that. Now, in this text, there, there's an emphasis on, on plans around building success and wealth, but the principle applies to, to, to even greater fashion, right? No matter what motivates us. More often than not, we struggle to live with a posture that says that very thing in that last verse there. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Yeah, if it's easy or if it's, if it's in alignment with what we wanted anyway, perhaps it is easy. But there's often times where, where, where we need to remain open because we might be going left and God is saying, no, 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 I want you to go right. And that's essentially what James is saying. Because we have a limited view of things. That's just our reality. And some of us hear the voice of God in the midst of those situations. And despite how difficult it is to say yes, we step into it. And that's called obedience. And other times in our lives, and others of us, we hear that voice of God. We sense it. And sadly, we ignore it, and I've done this too, and we live according to our own plans, and we cling to that, and it's called disobedience. Not too long ago, Sherry and I took a, uh, took a course, a parenting course, and, and we heard this story of the woman who, who led this course. She was a single mom, and, and she started to sense that God wanted her to move from one state to another, and she sensed that really deeply to bring her family, but she was scared. Of course, all the huge changes, the security that she's leaving behind, the safety, all, all those sorts of things, right? So, but, you know, she, she decided, okay, this is, I feel like, what God is doing. So she puts her house on the market. Three offers come in for her house, all which were very, very low. Then, uh, then you know, she said no, and, and then a fourth offer came, and it was right at market value, right what she was asking. She felt like it was a no-brainer. And she said, yeah, she said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll sell this. So the story continues, and, and one day before the sale went through, she started to have this deep sense in her spirit that she should pull out of this deal. She didn't really know why. It didn't really make sense. She was kind of shocked, disappointed. She was eager to begin the next chapter of her life, and she was sensing this from God. She had, you know, already endured all the stress of, you know, getting your house ready and trying to sell it, and then it happened, and then now she's, you know, of course now dreading, you know, disappointing the buyer as well. And she resist, resisted that feeling at first, resisted again, but she felt that strong tug. It was undeniable. So she went against what seemed to be the logical, only really right way to do it in this situation, and she canceled the sale of her house. Didn't make sense to her. She was ready to move forward, what she thought was God's will. And why was he asking her to pause? Right, to even go backwards, it seemed to her. But, but here's where the openness comes in. Because openness is not synonymous with understanding. It's not synonymous with understanding. We don't need to make sense of what God is asking us to do in order to be open to it. Several more months went by in this lady's life which felt like to her an eternity. Imagine being in her situation. No action of any kind, no offers on the house. It looked more and more like she had made a mistake. And she began to question if she really did hear God's voice. And then suddenly there was an offer. And the offer didn't just come in at market val value. The offer came in double what the listing price was. This man actually wanted this specific lot of land and would pay extra to get it. She was, of course, Amazed by the whole thing. And the extra money that came in was the exact amount of money that it cost 
to send all her kids to a private Christian school for two whole years that she dreamed of having them, but she couldn't afford it as a single mom. If she wouldn't have remained open to a different plan, she wouldn't have received the enormous blessing that God had waiting for her and her kids. And not only did it provide much-needed resources, ultimately it strengthened her faith, which is the ultimate gift when we open ourselves to God, even when it doesn't make sense. He strengthens our faith. And I know I, I heard that story. I was inspired by it myself. And I see the same posture in the life of Joseph as he's postured toward Christ. Receiving the vision f- from God made it clear as to what direction to take for him. But it didn't make it less difficult. See, Joseph had to wake up from that dream and he had to make a choice. And choices are sometimes the hardest, but they're the most spiritual activity of our lives. And this is where we come across the second really remarkable quality of Joseph, and it's this, that he had the courage to act. Not only was he open to a different plan that God had, but he had the courage to act. In verse 24, we read, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. That was a courageous step. Now, it's one thing to be open. It's another to pull the trigger and do what often seems to be impossible. And this could be no further from the truth in Joseph's case. It can be easy to underestimate the difficulty, even, of what Joseph did in this moment by remaining betrothed to to Mary. He lived in what is referred to as a shame and honor culture, I have to remember, and, and, and knowing how difficult this must have been. Because as soon as it came out that Mary was pregnant, well, people could conclude one, or, one of two things. Either that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph or that Mary and Joseph had had sex before marriage. And in that culture, there was a, it was a shame and honor culture, and there would have been much shame that followed, much rejection, even social outcasts. They would have been seen as second-class citizens would have been a difficult space to be. So there's a lot on the line here for Joseph. Think about the last time you did something in your life that required great courage. And think about that for a second. Something that made your stomach turn, made your hands tremble. Something that made you have that feeling inside like you were about to step off a, step off a cliff. Something that would truly cost you something. Maybe a relationship something you highly valued, maybe your reputation or a dream. I mean, think about that. (laughs) Multiply it by about a thousand, and you start to get a sense of what Joseph was going through and his attempt and his pursuit to act and really to obey God. Because think about it. If Joseph disobeys, if he disobeys, he would be affirmed by the culture for his righteous standards and noble values if he disobeys. But, but on the other hand, if he obeys God, he would be stepping right off the plank into the sea of vicious accusations and the good name he held so sacred would be scandalized. And he didn't know how long that would last, perhaps forever. We need to step into opposition with the fear present, not wait for the fear to go away. And that's what Joseph did. This is what makes courage so unique and uncommon, so rare. It is counterintuitive, and it goes against our instinct for self-preservation. But courage is absolutely necessary to living a life of faithfulness to God. 
If we're not willing to keep walking ahead through the fear, in the midst of the fear, which is the call of God in every one of our lives, no matter what we're going through, even when there's uncertainty, if we're not willing, we will never experience the fulfillment that comes through stepping out in faith. I heard a speaker not long ago say that you can have success without faith, but you can't have fulfillment without faith. And in order to live a life of faith, we need the courage to follow God where he leads us, no matter the cost. And the scriptures are full of people that did this. Just to name a few, courage is what Daniel needed to break the king's ordinance, if you remember the story, and pray publicly when he knew it would land him in the lion's den. Did it anyway. Courage is what Ruth needed when she left her home and the way of life she held dear because she loved her mother-in-law, Naomi, and that led her to extreme poverty, begging for the scraps of grain left over in Boaz's field. And then Esther. Courage is what Esther needed when she risked her life to beg the king for mercy for her people. Courage is what Paul needed to preach the gospel, though he knew he was going to be thrown in prison and go through great suffering. And courage is what Joseph needed to keep his promise to Mary and step into cultural opposition like most of us, if not all of us, have never experienced. I mean, we all love the part of the story where the hero proves victorious. But what makes them heroes is not the victory, it is the courage. None of us are naturally brave when it comes to losing what we cherish. Our security, our our safety, our name, right? The life we've come to treasure and love. Bravery is a choice, not a feeling. It starts with an openness and a vision. It moves to courage through action. And then, as we see in the coming of Jesus, the vision becomes reality. Courage to act. Joseph had it. Models it for us. He also had openness to a completely different plan. That brings us to the third thing about Joseph's life. And we see how a change in direction in Joseph's life, we see how a change in direction can launch us into God's greater purpose. Now, I just mentioned some of the heroes in the scriptures that, had, that took valiant risks in order to obey God. But what I didn't mention was how their change in direction from self-preservation to full devotion launched them into God's greater story. Daniel helped King Nebuchadnezzar of pagan Babylon see the power of the one true God and was solely instrumental in bringing a notoriously arrogant king to humble himself before the God of Israel. Ruth ended up marrying the same Boaz she once begged from, And in doing so, she became part of the lineage of David and the birth of the Messiah. Esther saved an entire race from genocide, thus preserving the Jewish line. And Paul sparked a widespread movement of Christ, wrote about half the New Testament, and left us with a shining example of what a true Christ follower looks like. Joseph, an unknown man of average and and ordinary background, became the human father of the Savior of the world. And then raised him and had a pivotal role in his life as we know it. In order to make the leap from simply living in your story and living in God's story, we must come back to these decision points over and over again. We open ourselves to God. 
We show courage as we're willing to lose anything and everything for His sake, for His cause, for His mission. And then the true reward comes. We become part of the greatest narrative ever written, the story of God. And we get to be part of that. When we become sons and daughters of God, the scriptures tell us that we now share in His inheritance. And part of our inheritance is not only in the riches of God's grace, but in the purpose of God's heart for His people and for the world. And we see in Joseph's life that when when he pivoted toward God's plan rather than hold tightly to his own, everything changed for him. And you, you know the term pivot, right? If you're familiar with basketball, you certainly know the term pivot. Right? I mean, pivot can really change the, the outcome of a game. At the end of the game, the pressure's on, the double team comes, right? You're trapped in the corner. You must pivot to get the ball, you know, to your teammate, right? If you have to score or, or, or keep the ball from the other team, pivoting is so critical in basketball. It's a basic skill, but, but a critical skill. And there's also what I would call in this case spiritual pivoting, which of course is more significant in our lives than in athletics. And it's, it's about the same basic thing, though. It's about quickness and willingness to change directions when the opportunity is in front of us. Not getting trapped, not getting stuck in your own plan of how you think you should do things, or missing the opportunity because you waited too long to turn to the voice of God. Like Joseph, we need to spiritually pivot when God is shifting us in a different direction. Sometimes we're not open to doing that. And when we do it, though, it proves to be a game changer in our walk with Christ, as well as it helps us make a meaningful difference and impact in the world around us, much like these men and women of the Scriptures. And God saw this man, Joseph, right, who pivoted, not, he, he, didn't put, he didn't pivot toward his own glory. No, in fact, he pivoted toward God. It seems that he was content with a normal, quiet life, in fact. But God saw something in him that Joseph didn't see even in himself. And God saw a man who would step up. A man who would trust God more than his own instincts. A man who would lose what mattered most to him on this earth in order to stay true to his Lord and Savior. A man who, like a soldier before a general, only needed to be sent in order to go. See, God alone knows your heart and mine. He sees the hidden parts where our will lies and where our true loyalties lie. Love what Jeremiah 17 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And he sees our heart, and he saw Joseph's and all the saints that have gone before us. And, and then in 2 Chronicles 16.9, we read, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. So we're not in this alone. God is looking for a heart who is committed to him. And he is faithful. He will be faithful to strengthen your heart along the way. It doesn't say a heart who is 100% pure or a heart who, who doesn't have any doubts or fears or insecurities. certainly doesn't say that you have to have a heart that is perfect. It says committed. Or in other words, devoted. Because it is devotion that God is looking for from His people, not perfection. And every one of us is capable of that. 
And just like Joseph, we don't get to see the final ending. We only get one scene at a time. But we are part of this essential story that's unfolding chapter by chapter. And we will share in the inheritance of God's greater purpose. But in the end, we have to wait. We have to wait to see the end. And it isn't easy. But hey, nothing of true value is ever easy, it seems. It requires us to fight. It requires us to step into moments when things don't all make sense, to have courage and to obey God, to hear His voice and turn right when He says turn right. And if He says then change, we're going to turn left. We're walking with God in that. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the vision. I don't want to miss the dream that God has for my life. I bet you don't either. Because God has dreams and He has designs and He has a vision for your life. And he wants you to discover it along the way by walking near to him. But we have to show up for it. To see those opportunities that God is giving, we sometimes have to pivot toward him. And we have to make the hard choices. We have to be willing to face our fears and show courage. And this Christmas, I'm always reminded of this at Christmas, we get to slow down. We get to slow down and turn our gaze away from the many things that try to distract us. And there are many. And we get to turn to the one who cares so deeply for us, the one who longs for us to notice that and live in that and sink in deeply to that. We get to look at people like Joseph and and be reminded that, yes, it is possible to live in full devotion to God. And yes, God's greater purpose can help be achieved through our lives. But here's the thing. It's not just Joseph's life we look at, because what Joseph's life points us ultimately to is, of course, our Savior, Jesus. And in verse 22, again, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Because God, the God of the universe, in His Son Jesus, stepped into human history, stepped into time and space to be with us. So that He could pay the penalty of our sins, so that He could invite us into eternal life with Him forever, with exuding joy. But, but Jesus stepped into that, ultimately opened to God the Father's plans, plans that involved persecution and rejection and unspeakable suffering, and Jesus showed ultimate courage. The scriptures say it was the joy set before him that was the reason he endured the agony of the cross. The scriptures recount how he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, begged that the Father would take this cup of suffering away. Is there any way to not go this path to the cross? But his bravery, we see, was not a feeling, it was an action. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice in order to step into the ultimate purpose of God, to bring all people to himself through the forgiveness of sins and to offer us abundant grace, eternal grace. The Father found a heart purely devoted to him and his Son and knew that Jesus would follow him and remain faithful no matter the cost. He is our ultimate example. And it is in this man, Jesus that you and I are able to be the kind of people we long to be. 
that the kind of people that are devoted to God, open to what He wants for our lives, trusting that it is better, that we can walk in bravery and in courage because of His strength and His grace in the midst of our fears, in the midst of moments that don't make sense, that we can be part of God's greater story. And this Christmas, right, one week away, my, my hope is and my prayer even today is that you would be once again reminded of the most amazing truth that God sent His Son Jesus, Emmanuel, to be with us, to heal us, to redeem us, to forgive us. That He invites us into something far different, the very thing we all desperately need now and forever. See, God is not somewhere out there at a distance. He's right here with us. He is right there with you. And when things don't make sense, God is there. You may not sense him. You may feel he's silent. You may wonder, God, where are you? Why does it have to happen this way? But God's promise to us, it's the promise of Christmas, it's the promise of the gospel, is that I will be with you. And he says to every one of us, will you follow me? No turning back, no matter what it costs, no matter where it takes you, will you follow me? Will you trust me to be not only your Savior, but also your Lord? To be the forgiver of your sins, but also the leader of your life? Will you put me at the center? Because that's what Christmas is all about, ultimately. I'm going to invite the band to return to the stage. And I don't know what you're going through specifically, but I do know this, that in Christmas and in this text very specifically, we are promised that God will be with you, with us. And God is with you. Will you bow your head in prayer? God, I know your desire for every single one of us is that we would remain open to perhaps a different plan. Whatever that plan is, God, that we would remain open. So help us to do that. God, being courageous is difficult. Courage is not absent of fear. God, we have to have courage in the midst of fear. And so I pray you would infuse every person in this space, every person listening to this talk with courage to make the choices they need to make to obey how they need to obey, whatever that might be. And God, I pray we would be reminded on this week before Christmas that we have this amazing privilege to be part of your greater story, your greater purpose, your greater mission. Thank you for that, God. And I pray that this week, God, leading up to Christmas, would stir our hearts to be all in with you, God. Because you went all in for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.